0: Hello and welcome to the second in our series and podcast from Schneider Electric. My name's Mark Yales. I'm the Vice President of Industrial Automation here at Schneider Electric in the UK and Ireland. And today I'm delighted to welcome Nigel Watson, the Group CIO from Northumbrian Water. And our topic today is, is very much around innovation and how to utilize innovation to gain maximum benefit. So without further ado, welcome, Nigel. To the show and the listeners, I'm sure will be delighted to hear uh, your commentary on this topic over the next period. But let's let's get us started straight away. And um, you know, for you, how important is innovation in your business, and how do you set yourselves up to get yourself on the innovation journey? Yeah, so I,
1: I guess, uh, and thanks, Mark, and it's a real honour to be on the show. So uh, thank you for organising this. Um, yeah, in, innovation is incredibly important to Northumbrian Water. and I guess it's because we're facing into some challenges and a change of, of the pace of the challenges that are coming along to us, principally driven by, you know rightly rising customer expectations, changing expectations from the regulator. Uh, we've got five generations of, in our workforce now. And, and last and by no means least, we face into climate change, right? And so it's, um, I think, and not, not to pretend that the water industry is uh, like the fastest moving place, not, not by any means, but I think it's definitely facing a rate of change that it probably has never faced before. And as we face into those challenges, we really principally have three engines of improvement, if you like, ways in which we can improve our business. Um, continuous improvement is one of those, and I think that you know be common for probably all businesses and organizations. and we've recently adopted product management as a way of delivering that, you know, in a more agile manner so that we reduce that time from flash to bang and and constantly feeding improvements into you know the customer experience, the website, the app, whatever it might happen to be. Then we do large transformation programs. you know we've done a couple of those now. Those are we're taking a fresh look at our processes, the systems that support them, the target operating model of the organization, the job roles, the metrics that we track in order to determine whether they've been successful. We review all of those. And those things have, uh, you know, uh, uh, they're, they're large programs. They come with some risk. But, you know, we, we expect generally it's a reasonably well-trodden path and we might land at least ninety percent of the business case that we put up front when we when we secure that investment, innovation is totally different for us. It's it's a kind of a our success rate there is um, three expected success rate, and indeed what we're seeing is about three or four out of ten ideas come generate some kind of value. Um, it's different. Also, I guess so. The risk profile is is obviously different we're looking for fresh ideas. Our definition of innovation is that we're the first water company in the UK to do it. And, and therefore, you know, we we look quite broadly, I suppose, and we have a very uh, well-proven uh, idea generation machine. So we have a process for idea generation, and then we have a separate process of getting from idea to value. And um,
0: I think we perhaps just, you know, we can dive into those things a little bit today as we as we talk yeah perfect so it, it's good to understand the way that you're setting up your business to to focus both on the operation piece and then on the innovation aspect there very very interesting to to hear how you're starting there so if we deep dive a little bit more into innovation how do, how do you get started on a on, on an innovation journey how does that start for you
1: I'd I, I tell you how it started for us at least so you know about uh, about five years ago maybe a little more. Um, so we we were we had this itch that we needed the scratch that we needed to be more innovative, and um, I you know work for Heidi who's the CEO and, and her the language she uses is machinery. Let's make sure we've got some machinery. So we've got some process, some method, and uh, really the first thing we did was to buy a book, uh, which was called Sprint. It was written by a guy called Jake Knapp, who uh, I talk to uh, from time to time these days. Now. Um, Sprint sort of laid down this five-day method for tackling what was what often referred to as wicked problems. Right, problems that are kind of complex. They they often straddle different organisations. You find yourself operating in adjacencies to what you where you normally operate to deal with uh, problems in a different way. And it's very human centric, and that's why we liked it. So, day one of of a sprint is very much looking at the problem as it is experienced the lived experience of it through the the people who experience it so that they they may be different you know and their perspectives will be different and so you spend a day really exploring that and understanding the implications of it right and that's that's quite a tough day for engineers actually i might say because we 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 naturally want to go, we know the solution to this, we'll we'll come to this. Uh we've got some great ideas in our heads. We want to desperately get them out onto well, it used to be a whiteboard, now it's a MIRO board or something like that. But you know, it it um we want to get those ideas out of our heads. But it's really important to kind of loiter on the on the problem. And I'll give you an example. We did a sprint a few years ago, which was how can businesses improve the lives of people who are visually impaired? And I had in my head that, you know, there's lots of technology like Alexas and things like that that you could talk to. Now, there must be some 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 answers there. And then we had three different people walk into the, into the tent to discuss their lives. And uh, one was a young lady who lived in a rural area and um, she was partially sighted, lived with her parents. And her problem was mostly getting to work and back safely and also being able to socialize with her friends. Um, there was a, a remarkable young man who came in who traveled globally in a way that, you know, and he was, um, he had no sight. So it was, his problem was about how do you navigate your way around an airport, which is quite, you know, quite tri- tricky, even if you're fully sighted. And then um, we, we had a young man whose mother was blind and um, he described what it was like as a child growing up and with a parent that you know couldn't see and and all of the, the implications of that and none of those people were terribly interested in a in a talking cup I think it's safe to say so it was you know a really sort of salutary lesson in make sure you understand the problem you're trying to solve in that case you know we ended up with a bunch of ideas that went off into the into the transport space and totally away from us as an organization and that that can happen so um uh, you know it is that, but that day one really important to set it up properly. And I guess it is a little bit scripted in the sense that you're bringing data in, you're bringing perspectives in, then it becomes very organic, and you have no idea what's going to happen in days two, three, uh, to some extent. It's what we might be familiar with as kind of calling brainstorming. There's bits of that definitely involved. I think there's something very deliberate that happens though with us in terms of the diversity of thought. So We would never put 20 leakage experts in a room to solve or come up with new ideas about improving leakage. Um, We might bring three or four experts, but we would mix them together with, I don't know, someone who understands satellite imagery. We have had people, we've, we've ended up kind of going, actually, in rural areas, dogs are quite useful for spotting leaks. So you might have someone with that perspective. A games expert. Um, someone who understands kind of the human psychology, um, maybe someone who understands student housing. I mean, we'll put together a real mix of expertise and then facilitation is really important to make sure. No point having that diversity there if you don't hear it. So you've got to, got to make have mechanisms and icebreakers, ways that people establish um, rapport, even if they've got very different backgrounds. So to try and bring the, those people together in a very positive way. They start generating ideas, hundreds of them. Um, I guess the thing that's then again different about design thinking is you have to ship something. So at the end of the week, you're going to produce something. It might be a crude prototype. It might look like something from Blue Peter. Um, it might look like something that's, or it might be something that's been 3D printed. Um, so there's there's all sorts of different fabrications and things that, that kind of bring this, the, the idea off the page. But you're really trying to ship something and sell it, and and establish that you're going to get some investment. And so, we started there with some a method, and just went right. Okay, let's try design thinking and see how
0: that goes. And I think Nigel, um, you know, it's really it's really fascinating to listen to your talk here because you know the building the plan piece is interesting, but what you've just highlighted there for our listeners is is a view that says. The team has to be diverse, both in skill set and, and the way that people think. So uh, to your point, you know, slim down from 10 engineers to two engineers, but offer up a team that can give a, a wholly different perspective to solve a challenge or an issue or a dilemma that you may have.
1: Uh, absolutely right. And, you know, we, we talk about soft collisions. You know, it's when you bring those different perspectives, the different thoughts together, that's where we find that the best ideas emerge. You know, we we brought in, we were looking at um, mo- how do you optimize a mo- mobile workforce? You know, one third of our workforce is out and about and uh, obviously the amount of reactive work that we have to do. We brought in the fire brigade to talk about kind of like an extreme example of is an organization and how do they deal with it? When, well, actually they do that mix of proactive and reactive work, but obviously their reactive work is really an emergency on. So how do they handle it when something like that sort of drops into their schedule? And you, you learn a lot from bringing those kind of thoughts into a, into a group.
0: I like it. I like it. And I think our listeners will get a very different perspective, maybe, to what they were thinking yesterday. So uh, the next question from me is, what's the point? I mean, why bother with investing in innovation? And what, what's the purpose? Who's what, Why do we do it? What's the point? I, I guess, you know,
1: context is, uh, is everything, isn't it? But in, in our organization, so, you know, we're a business that provides a critical or critical services. So provide clean water to the tap, and then we take the dirty stuff away and we treat it and put it back into the environment. Um, and it was, it was ever thus, I suppose, you know, so, and those core services fundamentally, they aren't changing, but how we deliver them, uh, is, is what we're looking at. And we've got A lot of different regulatory measures. So we're measured in terms of how we perform on customer satisfaction, how we perform on leaks, floods, pollution, incidents, and, 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 right? So, and and, and we start, um, I would say 99 times out of 100, we start with a problem. That problem comes off of our scorecard. So we'll look at the scorecard, see the areas where we're struggling, and go, right, okay. We we need to do better at. I mean, a, year, a few years ago, just to give an example, we were looking at um, category three pollutions, and and typically not at the top level of the scorecard where we might have a measure like that. So, category three pollution is where there's a there's a spill into the environment, but it doesn't cause um, you, know, you know any any particular harm as such. But uh, you know, it's, it's still not pleasant. And we looked at that and went right, okay, next level of metrics down. We started looking at, well, where is this happening? And, and we were seeing in our sewage pumping stations that uh, we had some potential issues. These, uh, these pumping stations sit out in the environment, um, miles away, not a lot of telemetry quite often, communication quite tricky. Uh, and we organized a data hack. So we felt that this was an area where we had a lot of data, it was a very data rich domain. So we took a different approach to a sprint, organized a hack at a university. Put ten years' worth of these incidents into a cloud environment. We have a whole method where uh, you know data scientists can sign up to participate in one of these. It's kind of like a there's a little element of competition, but it's, it's got you know fun and prizes and things like that going on. We buy the beer and the pizza, and people hack away at the data for two or three days, and then they come up with fresh insights. And one of the people in here came up with this insight that he felt that in our data there was a proxy for you know, when when these sewage pumping stations were about to fail. So people put stuff down the toilet they shouldn't put down. These things get clogged up and then they fail. And he could tell from the energy usage and how that was spiking and the flow of water across the, the wet well that um, he felt he had a method. We took that back into our business and um, improved our performance over a period of about 12 to 18 months, tuning the algorithm um, by about 80 percent. We cut category three pollution incidents by 80 percent so we do it to improve our our performance on those key measures
0: excellent and and many others will be able to take that example and twist it into their environment depending on what their sector segment what they're producing or whatever shape that may take nigel so but how do you how do you define that business imperative to solve that dilemma how do you you know top level you mentioned earlier about not getting caught up in the weeds too early, but trying to give a bit of blue sky thinking. How, how do you define it? What, what 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 does that process look like?
1: And, and and I guess probably the you know the toughest bit of the process there is defining the problem you're trying to solve. What is it? What is the question you're asking? Right? And I, I think it was Einstein that said if he had an hour to save the world, he'd spend fifty nine minutes framing the question. And and it feels a bit like that when you're preparing a sprint. So we and we you know we haven't always got that right. If you, I think the scope of the problem that you're trying to solve is really important. If you make it too broad, um, you're going to end up and, and we've seen this in sprints before, where the the, pro, the the ideas that come out feel a bit like you're trying to solve world hunger, and they're not very actionable. And on the other end, if you reduce the scope of the question too tightly then you've constrained the thinking too soon. And so we, we spend a lot of time, uh, you know, not just with ourselves, but with our partners who work with us on, on solving these, trying to get the scope of the question right, framing the right, you know, the right scope of the question that will allow for enough expansive thinking in order to produce something that is fresh and exciting, but also, actionable when you come out at the end of the five days
0: so that's 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 an interesting point there Nigel so what you're saying is it's not one person who comes up with an idea and everybody else follows behind it's very much a how do I get a cross-pollinating team both from a partner point of view an internal perspective and maybe some blue sky thinkers some early career starts a whole bunch and a variety of people to help define the issue the dilemma that presents itself to you today
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I I guess, and you know, we I, I read recently um Matthew Said's book, Rebel Ideas, and a lot of that resonated with me in terms of blind spots. You know, we 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 all have blind spots. Um, we all live in our respective bubbles, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. But I think, you know, you have to recognize that when you're gonna step out and try and go, right, we're gonna try and solve this problem. If you want innovative thinking, you're gonna have to bring in something new something fresh um you're going to have to bring in different perspectives we love doing multi-generational things as well um we've we've done this a couple of times which worked it was really interesting where we had a group of sort of 17 18 year olds we gave them the same problem as we gave let's call them the professionals and we we watched how they rapidly ran back and forward between their their respective rooms and uh, the level of engagement that occurred and people really trying to understand well what is it what does
0: it mean by that and what why do you think that and um it led to you know some some of the most productive sprints we've ever had fascinating stuff yeah fascinating stuff and you know when you look at when you when you undertake an innovation project and clear you've defined the dilemma you've got a baseline understanding of what it is how do you define what the key ingredients are for success How do, how do you how do you kind of portion that what does that look like for you
1: yeah, I, I think um, probably our key determinant of success, right? And we, we've been at this now five years. At any given point in time, there's probably 80 or 90 ideas in our innovation pipeline. If we look back, and, and we have looked back and gone, the right, okay, what is it? what are the critical success factors? The number one thing that stands out is that you've got someone who passionately cares about driving the success of that idea. If you're the first company of your kind in the country to do something, there will be bumps in the road, right? It isn't a well-trodden path. And you, you need someone who's going to lead that and go, right, okay, I see we're we're a bit blocked there. You know, they're going to need to overcome some obstacles. They're going to have to have that kind of, I guess, personal resilience. It uh, feels like that's really important. Um, networks. Uh, you know making sure that they they remain connected to a diverse group of people who will provide them with support um, is important and we put a bit of funding there as well you know we put some seed funding we've learned over time I think to become more deliberate with our um, experimentation so you're typically trying to prove economic and or technical feasibility so, we are always looking for the next step what are, what is it that we need to prove next in order for this idea to progress so it's not a it's not a random thing once we've brought an idea into a pipeline there is quite some discipline that goes into its progression um i guess the one thing that, that still feels hard to me is knowing when to kill something off and I, I, I wish it was more we had more of a science for it, but it feels more like an art at the moment.
0: Nigel, a really interesting point you were just making a couple of seconds ago there. And what I'm picking up from what you've said is that teams and more importantly, passionate people who believe in the innovation are a real critical piece of getting either an innovation or a technology shift as part of your, uh, your business. And the, and the and the next wave of innovation, packing all that together. So, so you still think that people have an important role to play here? Yeah, I mean,
1: it really. I, I think it, you know, it starts and ends with people for me. I mean, the yes, you need some process. You know, you know, you need a bit of rigor. You need a bit of money. You need a little bit. We we go with a sort of a fairly light form of governance in terms of how we distribute the the funds that we put into innovation as well. Um. So there, you know we don't over labor the business case because we don't want to pretend that we know what it is, but, you know, we, we like to have some idea of what the impact might be. Um, but I, I think it, you know, it really comes down to people. And, and I guess, you know, you're coming to the, the culture of the organization, making sure that those people feel supported, that there isn't a you're going to get punished if this doesn't work. it just is a you know we'll we'll review it as we go and if it doesn't work that's fine we'll move on to the next thing and and that success rate you know my CEO talks about a success rate of three or four out of ten which I think again context is important if you're a tech company that would probably you might your reaction to that might be that's very high you're probably not taking enough risks you know we're we're a water business and we feel
0: comfortable. With three or four out of 10, but that, that probably in a utilities industry would put us a little on the edge. That's very interesting. And, and let's just think about those projects again now then. So you're, you're solving a dilemma there. Now, there's a there's a subtle difference, of course, between a, a kind of a proof of concept and a full-blown, right, this is all going to change. Does the success rate for a proof of concept change in that ratio that you just mentioned
1: oh yeah absolutely yeah so when I talk about three or four out of ten I'm talking about all of those ideas that come out of the sprints and hacks you know coming into a big hopper um by the time you sort of get to the end of right you've done a proof of concept and and you've proven it works you're in a project world and and you know your success rate should be again back up in the eight nine out of ten sort of range so uh, but you, you, you'll you often find that you'll iterate a few times before you, you reach that point where you go, yes, OK, you've definitely got this thing and it can scale.
0: That's, that's very interesting. And again, I, I want to take you back to a comment that you made just around your journey started five years ago-ish. And how would you describe to our listeners the different mindset needed by organizations when exploring how to innovate within their own companies? What what do they need to think about to get them on the curve like you have from your experience?
1: So, so I, I think you know, having some method, some kind of a framework to hang your hat on is is useful. I would say that first off, um, then you know, and this is probably a universal truth, isn't it? We all need some kind of early successes, so it's it's good to get some credits in the bank and and good to share those stories. Um, because you will definitely be facing and the need to make some kind of a shift in your in your organization's culture executive support therefore really important storytelling really important uh, i think yeah, it, uh, you know you probably do need a little bit of luck there don't you so you know some of those things that we did early on they had a, a large return for us as an organization um, what we found, in our experience, is the data science type things that we where we, we get to still refer those as innovations now is probably doubtful. But when we started off, getting value out of our data was much faster, is much faster today than perhaps anything else that we do. So innovation and getting value out of your data, we're typically seeing from flash to bang there, six to 18 months to get to value. Um, when we're making something, so you know we're 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 manufacturing something different, or coming up with a new sensor, or deploying something like that, it can be two, three, four years. And so uh, that which brings me to another key virtue, which is patience, I think, um, and and the you know, the setting that expectation correctly that these things aren't going to instantly turn to gold, um, but they are, you know, nonetheless worth pursuing. And then, and this is perhaps um, a factor of us being a water business. We have, you know, we do business with everybody in the region. We spend probably 400 million pounds a year out out in our supply chain. So we have um, good convening power. And I I think we lent on that convening power quite a lot to build that ecosystem around us. We're very open um, in terms of look, these are the problems, you know. we're, we're very open for organizations to come and help us to solve them. And I guess, and this, again, might be unique to us and, and how we operate. So we're privately owned, but with the way we're regulated, uh, we can't do much with the IP. And so we're happy for other organizations to come and partner with us, build an idea, get to the point where it scales and then take the IP um, uh, with, you know, and, and let them to make the commercial benefit from that. Um, not everybody will be in that situation. So I think, you you know, you need to understand and think through what is your organization's approach going to be to IP? Um, Because if you're going to work with startups, scale up some organizations that that you perhaps haven't worked with in the past, which is where a lot of these fresh ideas will come from, you've got to think about them and their success too.
0: Yeah, and and, Nigel, you've mentioned it a few times now throughout the show, but you've mentioned the importance of, partnerships yeah, and and that comes in many different forms of course you gave us a great example of uh, the fire service of uh, of individuals who are uh, you know are, are, are blind for example so you think of all different innovative ways to partner with people what would you, be your advice to uh, you know your peer group in in industry to get them kind of start to think about what partnerships they could start to develop. How did you start that process? What was the mindset? Yeah, we, we had a very deliberate, uh, you know, uh, think about what are our our
1: softer assets, if you like? What are the things that we have that might be of interest to other people? So, I mean, as a, as a business, we're very much um, in the environment, you know, probably the first industry to a uh, first example of a circular economy. Um, very environmental. We deal with everybody in society, you know. So we we touch everybody. Those are, I guess, if you like, things which are of interest to, to, to potential parties. So we we had a good think about that. We have a lot of data. Um, we have a lot of science in our organisation, right? So we have uh, we have biology, chemistry, physics. Um, we have a lot of engineering, and 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 so we did a little bit of an inventory of right. What are the things? about us that might be of interest to other people. What are our gifts that we can give? And over time, you know, we've, we've built those, so um, we might come talk a bit about the festival in a minute, but that has, has become a, a thing of its own right, the Innovation Festival. Uh, we've, we've established methods now for running data hacks, and we share those widely with anybody that's interested. So we, we've, we, we don't cling on to anything, We're very open and and giving and, um, you know, try to make sure that people in the ecosystem get something back.
0: No, great great, great to hear. Great to hear. Because that's true partnership when the collaboration is at its highest point and you can best share uh, technology or people to help solve some of those dilemmas we mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah, and I mean I'll give you an example so of uh, uh, perhaps a very practical one, you know, so we've had um we worked with a one man startup on a particular idea and uh I went to our procurement people and said we need to pay him in 7 days. And they said, but "Yeah, but our standard terms are 45." And I was like, "Yeah, but he doesn't eat if we don't pay him in seven days, so please pay him in seven days. And
0: they, they were like, yeah, okay, all right, we can do that. Uh, very good, very good. And there are, you know, we talk about innovation from a technology point of view, but there are also innovation, commercial innovation that we can utilize to help support people like you just mentioned. Indeed, and yeah, yeah. What I want to move on to now is, how, and, and, the, and the final piece here is, what would be your guidance of from your learnings that you've picked up over the past five years that you could share with the audience that will help others achieve their goals? What would be those, I guess, top few nuggets that could help people? Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll try and
1: say something kind of a a bit non-standard and maybe um, hopefully useful at the same time. So I think the thing I learned probably too late in my career is uh, what I refer to now as the power of the half-baked idea, right? And, And so when you're innovating, don't be afraid to go out with something that's incomplete. You know, so I I grew up as a software engineer professionally, so this this was really totally counterintuitive to me. I spent all of my, you know, certainly the first half of my career thinking about how to make something perfect, if you like, something robust, something that in the unhappy, you know, the unhappy path happened, it would deal with it. Uh, and that that is kind of how, you know, good, robust bit of software works. Um, so coming into innovation with that kind of mindset, uh, suddenly I had to let go of that and go right. Okay, I've got this idea, and it's, uh, I've got the bones of an idea, but be brave enough to put it out on the table and share it with other people. And I think most importantly, give them the space to add to it. And I heard this great story which resonated with me. I heard it just a few weeks ago, but we're, you know, in reality, we've been doing this for a few years now. Um, Betty Crocker, which um, when they first came out with their their cake mix in America. Um, they create a cake mix and all you had to do was add water and then you had a cake and it didn't sell and uh, and they sat down with a psychologist and and they asked the psychologist to, you know what what should we do and and they said remove an ingredient that the the person who's baking the cake needs to feel more of a invested in the process right and so they removed i guess it was egg mix and created this thing where the customer had to egg add an egg and stir the egg in to create the cake and the rest is history if you like and and that that feels like a you know a good story to illustrate that doesn't you don't have to have all of the answers you don't have to have completeness um i created this festival in a sense or the idea of a festival cuz heidi my boss said you need to make more noise about innovation you need to change the perception of the region change the perception of the sector what are you going to do and mashed up you know the idea of a british summer festival with Design thinking and hacks and things like that. When I when I turned up for that first festival, I had no idea really what was going to happen. Um, there were things there that people had gone. There was a, a cookery display. I was like, "Who who ordered that? That's like genius, you know." And uh, it was it was I guess out of control in the best way possible. And and I think you've got to be prepared to let go of of, of having control. Um, if if you're going to innovate, so I'd say that would be, you know, certainly one of my top tips. Um, the, the second one I think is it's okay to have fun. You know, uh, I mean, we've we've leaned on comedy quite a bit in innovation. So um, and and there's you know there's some legitimate reasons for that. It's not just about having a laugh, although having a laugh's okay too. Uh, so we work with Neil Malarkey from the Comedy Store. Um, he brought in with us the idea of improv um, uh, particularly when you're in that expansive phase of your thinking and and if you observe what improvisation the comedians who do improv do is they have this thing that Neil calls yes and so when something is handed to them you know because these things often they work in a group don't they when something is handed to them they add to it they don't if if they were to kill it, then the the joke is gone. But if they just add, and they'll add and they'll add, and they'll add. And often the best ideas we find, they start off looking at something that might be a bit absurd. um someone will a- add something to it. and if you're in that expansive phase of thinking, that's really important that you don't have people who just shut it down. Um, so having fun, um looking to other places for inspiration, I think is really important. and And I guess lastly, it's that it's that storytelling i think is is incredibly important from a cultural change point of view so particularly when you you're, you've got those ideas that have a really big impact make sure that you're telling that story and that you're sharing that success and you know giving people the 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 due credit i think those would probably be my top 3
0: tips Nigel, it's, it's, been a, it's been a very, very interesting last half an hour, 35 minutes talking to you. I hope the listeners can see we're trying to give a, a view here from one of the leaders in, in industry to give you some background and some, some, maybe some creative ideas on how you may get on your journey with innovation. So, I, Nigel, I'd like to thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts and comments with us today and um yeah we look forward to welcoming you on maybe a future show too so thank you nigel i oh, know thank you
1: mark it's been a pleasure chatting to you i love chatting about innovation you can probably tell i have a real a real passion for it and uh you know it's it's great to sort of uh, share our experience and we're we're constantly learning so you know very open to discussions with other people in this field Things that they've done, um, to, you know, don't don't be shy to come and knock on Northumbrian Water's door.
0: Thank you, Nigel, and thanks for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe, and uh, we look forward to welcoming you onto our next of uh, a series of Industrial Leadership podcasts coming really soon.